This is The Upshot. I'm Leah Rose. Today I'm talking with Chris Collin about his story, The Eden of Weed, for the April issue of San Francisco Magazine. In his story, Chris gets high and then takes a trip to the Solar Living Center in Mendocino County. You know, I think when Rush Limbaugh closes his eyes and pictures Northern California, what he sees is the Solar Living Center. But the truth is, it's a super sophisticated place addressing one of the most, if not the most, pressing issues of our time. The Solar Living Center was created by an enterprising environmentalist named John Schaefer, who's been at the forefront of the Back to the Land movement since the 1970s. Last year, Schaefer updated the Solar Living Center by building a marijuana dispensary on the grounds. The dispensary is an added attraction to the center, whose renewable energy and permaculture exhibits attract as many as 150,000 people a year. With the pending legalization of recreational pot in California, the Solar Living Center could soon welcome busloads of weed-happy tourists. It's a new era for Mendocino County, which, as Chris writes, may soon become the Napa Valley for weed. Here's my conversation with Chris. So your story opens with you just having ate a cannabis-laced fruit leather and then wandering around the Solar Living Center in Mendocino, California. And you write that it's sprinkled with solutions to assorted human-caused ecological crises. What exactly did you see that day? What were the exhibits you saw? And what is the Solar Living Center? It's a 12-acre sustainability demonstration site. It's sort of an Epcot center for all things environmental uh, and also off-the-grid living. Uh, So you walk around sort of marveling at all the latest geeky uh, solutions to, you know, how to use solar, uh, passive solar heating or how to, um, I don't know, uh, filter your water in a more efficient way. or It's all sorts of groovy stuff like that. And are these actually new ways to do these things or are they all kind of taken from the 70s? The whole place feels like you're in the 70s, but actually it is pretty, um, they're all pretty um, up to date. Uh, you know, the latest in technology. They don't always look like an Apple product. Right. But, but yeah, it is actually pretty up-to-date um, thinking on these solutions. And then John Schaefer, the man who started the Solar Living Center, um, you talk about that the reason he got into it was because after graduating from Berkeley, he lived for a while on a commune, and he was really one of the first people who was part of the Back to the Land movement. And then he eventually opened some stores and sold sold supplies where you can actually live off the land. But he ended up getting really, really wealthy. So how did that affect his his environmental off-the-land vision? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, to live in California now when you hear about startups always talking about making the world better, and then they go on and talk about their social media app. He actually got rich actually making the world better. Um and one of the first things he did that was proved to be huge was uh, discover this thing called uh, solar. Um, of course, we had solar before that. You know, I think NASA was using it. But he was the first guy in 1979 to buy photovoltaic cells and sell them uh, retail. What are those? Uh, those are your, the solar cells you see on top of a house. Okay, so the big panels. The big panels, okay. exactly, yeah. Um the thing is, back then it was really expensive, and the only people who could afford it 
were the people who had a bunch of cash in their pockets. And mm. that was uh, that was this community up in uh, Mendocino and elsewhere in the Emerald Triangle uh, that was growing weed. Uh, and it actually was this sort of little-known history that's starting to come out now that solar in this country, he was the first person to, to sell solar retail. Solar wouldn't have gotten started were it not for the uh, marijuana growers out there right. who needed uh, a way to be you know, getting power off the grid and vice versa. They would not have been able to get their grows going were it not for solar. So it was this sort of funny symbiotic relationship. Can you talk about how that relationship between John Schaefer, people who sell solar, and the weed growers, how has that changed now that it's all so much more out in the open? Well, you know, it's funny. It, it is and it isn't out in the open. I mean, we live in this weird moment where pot is like widely accepted and it's of course legal in a lot of places and sort of legal here but at the same time you can still go to prison for it so they have to do this sort of bizarre dance which has given it um given that whole area one of the most idiosyncratic economies in california and um i'm i'm gonna not answer your question and answer a different question (laughs) one of the things that was interesting to me about this is that that's all about to pivot right i mean we're gonna have legal pot very soon um, and so, you know, this relationship that we're talking about between the the pot growers and, uh, you know, operations like John Schaefer's up in, in Mendocino County, that's all going to change. What you have is a black market economy and it's going to stop being black. So, you know, there's a big question mark hanging over the whole area. What's going to happen next? And you wrote that John Schaefer has sort of been on the periphery of uh, the cannabis industry for years since the late 70s. But last October, he actually jumped into it directly by opening a dispensary up on the Solar Living Center property. Um, And what's different about his dispensary? Yeah, so this uh, Solar Living Center has been there for 20 years, and and a person should go check it out anyways because it's super interesting and fun. But what brought me up there recently was this new development, which is the opening of the Emerald Farms uh, Cannabis Dispensary. Uh, To see, like, a new bud store in California these days is not exactly uh, fascinating. But what was interesting about this place is, to my mind, it was it was Schaefer and his crew sort of taking a, a step forward into what the future of a post-legalization Mendocino County might look like. Uh, he already has 150,000 tourists a year coming to the Solar Living Center, um, you know, by bringing in the marijuana component, that sort of opens up this whole other avenue for, for people to get interested in. Um, you know, what's when you're up there talking about what, what will become of this area uh, and, and the Emerald Triangle, that's Mendocino, Humboldt, and Trinity County. It's about 10,000 square miles that uh, was recently estimated to be growing around 30,000 different cannabis gardens. That's, I mean, no one really that's knows, insane. but that's that's one estimate. This is where, this is our, our marijuana bread basket. Um, so, you know, to go up there now and, and to, to talk about what the future of uh, the economy will look like, a lot of people are talking about tourism, marijuana tourism, and you see that starting to happen in Colorado and in Washington State and elsewhere. Um to me, that was sort of an, it's an interesting question because, you know, the question of, of whether you can have uh, 
the Napa of weed, as a lot of people say. I love that. Yeah, that was great. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like, on the one hand, you can imagine all these, like, buses full of people who want to see how pot grows and try different strains. But on the other hand, I sort of felt like anyone who has spent a lot of time in Napa can sometimes feel like there's a, there's a sameness to some of these tourist operations. And, and the history in Mendocino County, for example, is just so quirky and interesting it seemed sort of a shame to, that that would get papered over with right. bland sort of tourism options. And you talked about Mendocino being a quirky place. Can you share any stories that you heard maybe from John Schaefer or from other people who have lived in the county for a long time? Yeah, this isn't from John, but this is just something you, you just hear up there. If you know anyone who's ever worked, uh, you know, picking uh, in, on any of the marijuana grows or just anyone who lives up there. It's a pot economy, and it, that means it's a cash economy. So you hear about, you know, people having. One thing I would always hear about is people having refrigerators full of cash buried in their yards. Wow, um, or, <laughs> it's like Tony Soprano. <laughs> <laughs> or walking around with a thowie in your pocket. A thowie uh, is that a thousand dollars? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, and so I think sometimes people are sort of cash rich, um, which sort of which shapes life in a weird way. One person I remember telling me. This is more of a Humboldt story I think she was talking about. But it might be hard for you to pay your mortgage, but because you're sort of cash rich on a day-to-day basis, you get this wad of of bills and you go buy a kayak. So you can see how little decisions like that <laughs> kayak. change your change the culture, like, you know, starting with little decisions like that and then sort of branching out. Would you describe it as a hippie culture? You know, I think when Rush Limbaugh closes his eyes and pictures Northern California, what he sees is the Solar Living Center. Um, <laughs> but the truth is, first of all, I don't really know what hippie means anymore. Um, I mean, there's, it's a super sophisticated place with cutting-edge technology and science addressing, like, obviously one of the most, if not the most, pressing issues of our time. So. I'm a little reluctant to sort of like just sort of slap the hippie label on them. That said, you know, is there a guy down the street selling tie-dye shirts? Sure, yeah. Yeah. But but the truth is it's it's a complex uh, part of California. You have NRA stickers too. I mean, it's rural. Um, so you have this sort of mix of, of different subcultures. Did you talk a lot to people about what's going to happen if marijuana does become legal? Yeah, there's a there's a great deal uh, of anxiety about what will happen if, if pot becomes legal, if, when pot becomes legal. Um, it, you know, one of the questions is who's going who's gonna to come in and make all the money? Is it going to be uh, Monsanto? Is it going to be – and then how are um, – you know, how does that affect the, the mom and pop farmers? Um, in, in a way, it's just another farming story in our country um, with all the sort of heartbreak or, or worry about heartbreak that that entails. And something I love about this story is that it opens with you eating this cannabis-laced fruit leather. Was that the plan going in, that you were going to go up there and get high and then wander around the property? I didn't plan it to a T like that, but I think had I been pressed about whether I would get high going to a beautiful... Um, dispensary on 12 acres in Mendocino County, I probably would have guessed yes. <laughs> but the weird thing is I did not get high. I I consumed a whole lot of cannabis and I got like incredibly not baked because, and that's the other, the, the twist in the story, um, John Shaver has always been sort of, his whole thing is being on the forefront of the latest whatever, whether it's solar or 
um, later, you know, getting into hemp or getting into um, different technologies. And what he has decided is the future of pot, or the most interesting future of pot, is CBD. This is the non-psychoactive strain uh, that when people talk about medical marijuana, this is really what they're talking about. So the fruit leather you ate just had CBD in it, didn't have THC? It had a little bit of THC. So I think I felt a little something, but it was also sort of, um, I don't know, it was misty and it's, it's really pretty <laughs> there. So I don't know, maybe I had not a contact high, but like an association high. Like a placebo type Some kind of placebo feeling. thing. Yeah. yeah. What's your background or relationship with weed? Are you like a big weed guy? Uh, uh, no, I'm not a big weed guy. I I mean, I, th- I think at some level, and I've talked to other people who have a similar experience, my inner 16-year-old still can't believe that you can get marijuana so easily. I mean, when I was a young, when I was a college kid, I think this would have been a lot more compelling to me. <laughs> um, uh, so, no, I mean, I, you know, I think, I think it's interesting. I think there's a lot of people doing really smart uh, marijuana reporting I'm not one of them. I'm. I don't purport to be like a marijuana journalist. This isn't um, your beat. This is not my beat. <laughs> Do you think that the Solar Living Center could exist anywhere outside of Northern California? Gosh, I would love for the Solar Solar Living Center to exist everywhere. Um, I was thinking maybe Vermont. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there is something like that in Vermont. Right? Um, yeah, it seems very Vermont. But I really think. Maybe this is like my California naivete, but I really think anyone could get into this place. Um, You know, it's just science. It's not really ideology. Um, And it's just, you know, if you can enjoy, um, you know, a pretty place where weird things are happening with water and solar panels and stuff like that, then you'll like this. And I, I don't see why that couldn't happen in Nebraska. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to me about this article. I loved it. Thanks for having me. The Upshot is produced by Justin Richmond. As always, thank you to John Steinberg and San Francisco Magazine for sponsoring today's episode. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can read all of the stories that we talk about on The Upshot on our website, theupshotpod.com. Our Twitter is at theupshotpod. I'm Leah Rose, and thanks for listening.